be sure to follow our website on Twitter, at Hockey underscore Hertz, Cameron Walsh, at Walshy66, and Ryan Wilson, at Gunner Stull. Also, if you'd like to support the Hockey Hurts podcast, you can do so by going to the podcast page and sign up for a monthly donation. It is much appreciated. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to the Hockey Hurts podcast for July 3rd of 2015. I'm Ryan Wilson. I'm Cameron Walsh. And since last week, we've had a ton of signings and trades and uh, and we just have so much to talk about this week we have the big phil kessel trade we have the unexpected brandon sod trade from chicago and of course uh tj oshi got traded uh and just a, a bevy of signings from around the league so it should be lots to cover in this podcast uh we won't waste time setting all of that up we are just going to dive right into uh phil kessel leaving the Toronto Maple Leafs via trade to the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, where he will play with either Sidney Crosby or Evgeny Malkin, and not Tyler Bozak. Cameron, (laughs) your thoughts, your initial thoughts and reactions to the trade, Mr. Walt. Um, I I woke up at like 6 o'clock in the morning and, you know, had a quick check on Twitter, and all of a sudden it's like, you know, Kessel's a penguin, and you the... Fear of God jumps into you as a fan. You go, holy crap, what did they have to give up to get Kessel? And to be perfectly honest, as a Penguins fan, if you're upset with what Pittsburgh gave away to, to get Phil Kessel, I then you're asking too much. It's just not going to happen. The salary retention is the important thing for Pittsburgh in amongst all of this. Their ability to have him basically is a 6.8 as opposed to an $8 million cap hit. I think is the biggest part of it. Yes, they gave up Kasperi Kapanen and, and Scott Harrington to futures, but of the defensemen that Pittsburgh have got in their system, Harrington is the slowest of them to develop. So for a team that has obviously traded for a win-now asset, it's a it's a good trade for Pittsburgh. I, I've tried to find flaws and holes in it, and there are a few, which we'll obviously discuss, but as a Penguins fan, I'm pretty happy um i was floored with the trade i i wrote and talked we talked last week on the podcast with yep. travis yost and i said i don't want them going after phil kessel why i didn't think they'd get him for this I, is, did anybody really think it was going to be that much of an underwhelming return i think the cost the, the the cost that everyone was expecting kessel to be was what was <clears throat> turning a lot of, or well, particularly Penguins fans off, because your assumption was that Toronto should rightfully be asking for a guy like Oli Marta or or or, um, or Derek Pouliot. So the fact that Pittsburgh managed to get him and get rid of a very vanilla player in Nick Spalling at the same time really does work for Pittsburgh. I mean, you and I have been critical of, of um, Rutherford in, in, in particular aspects and stuff, but... As a general rule, with Pittsburgh, he's won his trades. He's had that one glaring blow-up, which I do like to harp on, but otherwise he's done reasonably okay in his trades. He's at least broken even or won. He's just had that one dodgy one. So this is a big win for Rutherford. Yeah, definitely. Um, For for Toronto not to take uh, what you would consider one of Pittsburgh's top NHL-ready prospects back, in the trade is 
it I and retain the salary. I think when you combine the the fact that they got Kasperi Kapanen, who is a very skilled player, but he's not tracking for NHL success immediately, which for Pittsburgh that's certainly not ideal, and that's what made him expendable. Plus, they drafted Daniel Sprong, who I would consider uh, a similar boomer bust prospect. So he'll fill that that's void uh, yep. for the Penguins with Kapanen gone. And yes, Kapanen was Pittsburgh's top forward prospect, but you're t- that's relative to Pittsburgh, <laughs> and they're they have one of the worst uh, forward pools for prospects in the entire league. So, and Scott Harrington is their fourth best defense prospect. Um, he's behind the big two, Mata, Pouliot, and then uh, depending on who you talk to, I think most people think that Brian Dumoulin passed him up last year. So. Um, Dealing Harrington's dealing from a position of strength. The first and third round picks, well, you know, that's a cost of doing business when you're trading for a superstar. And what they did, they got the second round pick back from the Daniel Winnick trade. So basically they got to rent Daniel Winnick for Zach Sill in a fourth rounder last year. And like you said, the 2.2 mil coming off from Spalling, um, you said Rutherford did well in most of his trades, and, and a lot of them he did, he did do fine. Uh, I have no problem with the David Perron trade and the first-round pick for that. I think Perron's going to have a a very good year. Um, But getting Nick Spalling back in that um, Hornquist trade, he should have just gotten a second-round pick, and I'm I'm sure he probably could have if he wanted to. So that extra 2.2 mil put him in a salary cap behind last year. The fact that he got to get rid of that, get some salary retained, there's literally nothing not to... You can't not like it from a Pittsburgh perspective. And Toronto, you get a first and third round pick. You just don't know. Those could turn out okay. Kapanen could eventually uh, trend into a a difference maker. And Toronto has time to find that out. So it can work for Toronto. It's just there's a lot of risk there, and I think more risk than they probably should have had to put up with, considering they traded a, a league superstar. It shows you the folly in trying to trade a player like Malcolm. This is a prime example of why. Yeah, that's. They have no trade clauses, and it limits your pool of where you can ship somebody and and how they can fit it into their cap. And then, what kind of assets do they have? Are they the kind of assets that you want? Um, it's very difficult, and quite frankly, there's no need to trade Malkin. The, the whole argument for Malkin was they couldn't get enough top six wingers to play because of the salary stuff, and uh, guess what? That's no longer the case. Phil Kessel's going to be there for seven or six or seven more years at 6.8 mil. He's going to score a boatload of goals. That That's the thing. Like They've got Kessel locked up for such a long time. Everyone, me, me included, in this... You sit there and you think about it and you go, oh, Pittsburgh's window is getting smaller and smaller and smaller, but Latang's not that old. Yeah, he has these injury concerns, but it's not like he, they're muscle injuries, which once you start tearing hamstrings, they can really, really hinder you. You, you get there and you, you look at Crosby and Malkin, Lurie, I know you don't like to include him in that mix, um, and Latang. My, my thought process in the back of my head is, they have to stay healthy. At some point in their careers, they have to all be healthy together at one time. 
And if they do it next season with Kessel, who's not missed a game in forever, you just get there and go, even if they don't succeed in the playoffs, it will finally be fun to watch that top six operate and actually see Sid and Gino operate at a high level without having to carry the rest of the roster on their back because they've actually got talent with them, if that makes sense. Yeah, their two right-wing positions are locked in stone with Kessel and Hornquist. It's just a matter of who plays with who. Um, David Perron will play the left wing on one of those lines. And then if the Pittsburgh Penguins make no other moves uh, and just roll with what they have right now, which I'm not so sure that will be the case, uh, they have Chris Kunitz, Pascal Dupuis, Bo Bennett, and Sergei Plotnikov to all battle for that left-wing top six spot. And I think between the four of them, somebody will uh, play well next year and do just fine next to Malkin. And that's the thing. They've got four of them. They've got 82 games, if you're looking at, obviously, just getting to the playoffs. They've got 82 games to work out who's playing well with Crosby or Malkin uh, because you never know what will happen in regards to combinations and working. And all you want to do is just have that top six clicking at 100% when they hit the playoffs. I think Pittsburgh's shown over the past six years that winning, you know, 106 points in a season isn't necessarily as important as going into the playoffs playing good hockey at the right time. So Johnson showed that throughout the season, that he was more than happy to try things and, and change lineups purely to see if, players would work it was all and and in that context it was really baffling to see that he wouldn't change particular players out of position Um, but he has shown a propensity to to switch things up and try and see what does and doesn't work so he's finally actually got some choices he's got some legitimate choices to choose through and for the sake of argument let's say Plotnikov uh, pans out and he plays left wing there Uh, then you're looking at a Dupuis Sutter and, Kun- <laughs> and Kunitz third line, and Bo Bennett on a fourth line. Uh, yeah, that seems like a demotion of sorts, and you know technically it is. But if you're rolling four scoring lines, which they're tr- going to try to do, maybe like someone like Connor Sheary, Bo Bennett, and you name another. I think they're looking for a fourth line center, uh, Mike Santarelli, perhaps. Marcel Gotch. No, I think that ship has sailed. I, I'm not interested. I, I want I want somebody with more of an offensive upside there. And if you can roll out a fourth line that can chip in, like anybody on that line can score 10 or 15, that's where the league's shifting towards. Get ahead of that curve. Um, That third line of Dupuis, Kunitz, and Sutter is light years ahead of where it's been for for their team. Uh, Swap out Sutter for fair. Whoa, now now you got... The thing that's hilarious about that is the reason that that third line is streets ahead is... Those two wingers you named were the Penguins' regular first-line wingers. Yes. So it shows you the trickle-down effect of getting top-end depth and having the ability to let the other talent fall down the lineup rather than trying to fill from the bottom up. You hear a a lot of people who are asking, you get Kessel, how the hell do you fill out the depth on your roster? Well, if you end up, say you go out and you get seven because you don't think Plotkinov can, can fill the role, well, he ends up slotting in down the lineup as well. And you end up with 
an explosive top six, not that it's not already when you, you think about the pieces that are theoretically in place, but you, you then, the, the talent filters down. That still pushes Kunitz and Dupuy down the lineup. And Dupuy was a fourth line winger when the Pans won the cup in 09. Now, like you said about Bo Bennett, if Bo Bennett is a fourth line winger, that's a deep team. And that's a good thing. That's not, that's not a knock on Bennett. It just shows you how the team suddenly filled out its depth. And that's probably where Bennett should have played. Well, he probably shouldn't have played half of last year because he got hurt. But you get what I mean? Like, you put him down there, he, he, he would have to be so terrible to fail. He's in a position there to succeed. There's only one upside, really. Yeah, I agree. And, and that's a good thing, and they needed it. Uh, def- their defense has got a, a, a more question marks than it has in recent memory. But, uh, you know, Latang, Pouliot, Mata, Cole, pretty good four. Just a matter of figuring out Ben Lovejoy, Rob Scuderi, and Brian Dumoulin, what you want to do there. So Yeah, okay. Seeing as we're talking about defense, do you want to say anything about Paul Martin going to San Jose? Yeah, um, the writing was on the wall for for Paul moving on from Pittsburgh, but boy, he uh, he was one of my favorites to cover, uh, watching on a nightly basis. Very cerebral player, super sharp, uh, just does all the little things right. Uh, ninja poke check, <laughs> great positioning, great fit in San Jose. They have skilled forwards that he can get the puck to out of the zone for those controlled entries so that they can hit the neutral zone with speed. He's going to provide that for them. And I think uh, San Jose is in a great spot right now. They still have enough cap space to go out and and get somebody like a Cody Franzen or even Christian Erhoff, who used to play there. And I don't think Christian Erhoff's necessarily looking for a long-term deal. I, maybe he starts taking these short-term. Remember how Hosa was kind of yeah. did that one-year kind of things. Gun, gun, <clears throat> gun for hire. You know, pick your best situation to try and win a cup every year, and that's fine. I think Erhoff would be a great fit there. And more importantly, if they were to add another defenseman on top of Paul Martin, I think Brent Burns is actually a better forward. I agree. And if they can bump him up to forward. And, and get them back with Joe Thornton's line, uh, they get a lot better quick. So, It's it, it, it's funny. You you said to me previously throughout the year that you, you thought Paul Martin was going to go to L.A. And he obviously just wanted to go to California. It didn't really matter. And hearing the trouble that's sort of gone on in L.A., you get there and go, there was no way he was going to go to L.A. after all the stuff that's happened in the last, you know, 10 days. So he had two choices, I suppose, and San Jose is a good fit for him, all for all the reasons you said. People pick on, on San Jose in regards to their windows closed, but it, it, I don't think that's the case. I really don't. I mean, if Martin Jones is at least average, San Jose are going to be very, very annoying. Yeah, they had an off year last year, and they got Martin Jones in that, which is an upgrade over what they've had there. So that's very good, too. They paid a little bit, first-round pick for him, but uh, I believe Thomas Hurdle was hurt last year. So they got good pieces there. They'll, they'll be a good team, better than they were last year. 
I mean, any team with Thornton and Marlow on it is, is going to be okay. And Gutierrez, Pavelski. <laughs> that's the thing. You reel off names off the top of your head, and that's still a good, good, strong roster. It's just a matter of, of filling in the holes cheaply so they can get get good depth. This is just like just like half the teams that are trying to contend. That's the reality. Yeah, pretty much. Um, let's let's shift gears to uh, Chicago. And <laughs> Chicago or Columbus? Which way do you want to look at that? Uh, either or. I think uh, I think both. My initial reaction was, "What the hell is Chicago doing?" And over time, I've kind of backed off that as I really look into what they've got in return now i do still find it still find it pretty strange that they ended up not being able to get something done with him because you can go 10 percent over the cap in the summer and I, I don't think anybody would have predicted that he would have been the one moved when you had sharp bickle uh to a lesser extent crawford with with high salary to move to keep a guy like sad uh, so that trade was a bombshell in the afternoon. Mm, it was. It certainly was. Do, is 6.5 too much for Brandon Saad? I think right now you might not get that return investment, but down the road it may turn into a bargain. Uh, here's the deal. Would you rather pay a premium for future results or do you want to pay somebody for what they've done already? And most times in NHL free agency, uh, you, you're paying for stuff that's already happened, not the best has already happened, and you're paying a premium for, for their apex that has already passed. So for, I, I agree I agree with what you're saying there. I want to run this theory by you in regards to Jordan Stahl. Did he apex with Pittsburgh and Carolina are paying for past performance? Because Brandon Saad is around about the same his age as Stall, which is crazy to think about. I know, I know. And you get there and you go, Stall's not really turned into that massive offensive second line center that Carolina wanted, but he provides so many other things. So, what are going to be the expectations from the fans on Brandon Saad? Like, if he gets paid $6.5 million a year over six years, or eight years, or whatever it's going to turn out to be... Yeah, it's he, worth to point out, he hasn't signed yet. In fact, no, he could be offer-sheeted still. Correct. If, so, yeah, that, that's the other thing. And you look at what Chicago got back. I mean, they got back a second-line setup, which is the hole they need to fill. And, yeah, yeah. And Mark and Mark O'Dano, that's the other thing for me. Like, they... Columbus... Have really jumped on this and are like, we're gonna we're gonna pay Brandon Saad now. You ask Johansson what he thinks about trying to negotiate with Columbus in regards to getting dollar value for yourself. This is gonna be a very interesting process. Here's the deal with Columbus. When you trade for someone like Brandon Saad, who Chicago obviously wanted to get a deal done with, they know they're gonna have to buck up. Yeah. Like it's not lost on them that oh maybe we can get them for four and a half like they know they're going to have to go in that six and a half mil range, and I expect something will will get done there, and he'll play with Ryan Johansson. So chances are he will be a seventy to eighty point player. 
which is great for them. Does uh, it screw them around, though, when Johansson goes for his next contract? Well, you're going to have to pay him big bucks, too, because you have to pay the great players of the league. And right. he's going to make $4 million this year. And I want to say he has one more uh, year left on that $4 million contract. Let's see. Yes. All I, all I know is that whatever but starts... He, he'll still be an RFA, but that doesn't mean they... He'll make about $8 million in his new contract. And you know what? He's a legit number one center. He's yeah. trending that way. Pay him. Done. Great. Yep. So this is where contracts with Feligno can really hit them hard. You've got to be real careful because you've got to pay your top-end talent. You've got to make sure you don't overpay for average talent. And this is where it starts to get hard for some of these teams. Like That's the thing for Tampa Bay at the moment. They're in a beautiful position cap-wise. But they've got to work out which of the players they have to commit to financially and which are the ones to ship out. And Chicago have done a very good job of working out who to ship and who to keep. So this is this is going to be the new NHL now, is working out who are those five or six players you pay a truckload to and who are the rest you just fill in with. And I think Chicago did all right here. Uh, Marco Dano... Probably a guy not everybody knows a lot about, but in his uh, limited action last year, he had an even strength points per 60 at like 2.59 or 2.6 something. And the level for a first-line player in the NHL is anything above 2.0. So he was crushing it last year. And once again, small sample, only 30 or so games. But the talent was evident. He had great possession metrics to back that up. Do you, do you what was his um, what was his quality of competition? Just out of curiosity, because you seem to be able to rule these off right now. No, I can't. <laughs> you had everything else there. I know, I know. Um, but the he, very skilled, and you know he may track similarly to Brandon Saad. No guarantee that that happens, but you're going to put him in another situation, uh, and Taves is going to take the tough competition. Kane may or may not play with Taves, which means Mark O'Donnell gets to. That's a great situation. I think he's the underrated piece in all of this. And then you get Artem Anisimov, who I think is a, a great third-line center in the league. He does a really nice job, very sound defensively, has the ability to chip in a, a competent uh, amount of offense. They're probably looking at him as a 2C. And you get to... the paying him four and a half mil, which he signed for on his extension. You're a little bit uneasy about that. And then you remember, well, geez, the Hawks won the cup with Michael Hanzus as their second line center. So um, it can work. Yeah, that's yeah, that's the thing. Like you're right. If, if he ended up being the if he ended up being the third line center in Chicago, it's like, holy smokes, that's awesome. But if he's their second line center, it's a challenge for him. It's something as as a coaching staff you want to throw at him. And, and you hope that he, he steps up for it. If he does, sucks for the rest of the league, basically. And he may be the third-line center because Toivu Teravainen may be the second-line center. Mm. So Chicago really may not miss a beat trading Brandon Saad if the planets align for them. And, geez, go figure. Look at Chicago go again. <laughs> and they still can trade Bickle and Sharp. 
that's not done and over with yet and get some good assets that way. So they may reload even with the Taves Kane contracts. And if you, uh, if you were Chicago, would you trade? Would you trade to Edmonton Sharp for Drysdale? Would with the amount of cent, young centers that they've got now over there in Edmonton, would that, that be even possible? If that makes sense. I don't think I would do it if I were Edmonton because I don't think Edmonton should be thinking we need mid, early mid thirty uh, semi rental winger guy. Yep. They they're just they should hold their young talent right now and and get a year under Connor McDavid and see kind of how he changes their whole framework up there. So that I wouldn't entertain that from an Edmonton standpoint. You see, that's great. That's patience. That's not old school thinking. That's new management there. Yeah, I can believe that might happen. You know what I mean? And they picked up Andre Sakara, and their defense has not been all that great over the course of time. And now it's starting to show signs of maybe being okay moving forward with, uh, I think they traded for Griffin Reinhardt from the Islanders. I believe so. And... They have some prospects that should be coming up, uh, led by Darnell Nurse. And I'm trying to think of the other one. I can tell, but as well. I thought it began with an M. Mancaren? Did they trade him? Um, yeah, I can't pronounce it properly. Oh, they did. I think they traded Mancer. him to Toronto. Marincin. I think he's with Toronto now. I think they made a trade of some sort. Yep, that's correct. So, Andre Sakara is a good get for them. They'll have to continue to build that defense core so that they can feed the forwards the puck and make Connor McDavid work a little bit less hard and Nugent Hopkins as well. So, But I guess as far as the sod trade goes, I thought it was okay for both. I think it'll it, end up working for both. It, 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 I suppose it, it comes down to... If you want to, almost everyone wants to try to pick a winner and a loser out of a trade, and you always try to pick that side of the fence right off the get-go. You try and get there and go, well, who won this, who won that? You'd almost say that Columbus won it right now because you know what you're getting out of Brandon Saad compared to Artem Anisimov and Jeremy Morin, but you just don't know. I mean, if, if Marco Dano explodes... Because, like you said, sort of everything's there for it to, to percolate and happen. Then you'd say that Chicago won the trade, and you get there and you think about it, and you're like, well, that was an asset that they legitimately really wanted to keep, but they went well, with our salary structure. We can't keep him at the moment, so let's get rid of him, get more back than what an offer sheet would have given us to be able to be competitive now. And it's it's been really well done, like. You know, I'm sick of Chicago doing this stuff so well as a Penguins fan. It just sucks. Brilliantly done by Chicago, though. They make hard decisions and uh, usually uh, do okay on them. Yeah. So, um, I was going to talk a little bit. Well, should have probably talked a little bit about this for during the Kessel segment. But as for as much as that raised questions about uh, Toronto, they they are showing signs of uh, 
kind of those under the radar analytical signings when they picked up PA Parenteau, Mark Arcabello, and, and Daniel Winnick, all for cheap, which I thought was very good. Parenteau at one and a half mil, Arcabello at one point one, and Winnick at two point two. Uh, those are three great value signings. They're value signings that would be fantastic if you're a fan of it saying it's trying to push for a Stanley Cup. If you're well, here's well, here's the catch with these. Um, Parento and Arcabello are actually one-year deals, so they can actually do what they did with Winnick last year and flip them at the deadline along with Nick's balling. I think they've set themselves up to trade some rental players and really uh, get more draft picks for, for what they're trying to do. So I that's, thought it was pretty smart. If they, that's great. If, that, if, they, if they can manage to, to, to flip them, then, yeah, that's that's fantastic because they will have good underlying – they'll have good relative underlying numbers. That's, that's probably the big thing with anyone that plays on terrible teams. You want to look at their numbers relative to the rest of their teammates rather than the, the hardcore numbers. So that will be what you want to look at for teams like, like Toronto. Um, I'll put, throw Boston in that at the moment in regards to what's going on there. Um Colorado is another one. Um, New Jersey, you want to if they end up having assets to give up at the trade deadline, you want to have a look at what the, the the players' numbers are relative to the rest of their team. If their numbers are good relative to the rest of their team, you want to take a look at that guy. Mm-hmm. And then um, I thought Tampa Bay. Signing Eric Condro was a really perfect signing for them. Smart team getting a, a smart, uh, low-cost analytical player. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's been it's been really good. It, it's been an interesting uh, UFA period. It, it's felt a little bit tradey more so than UFA, if that makes sense. Reasonable signings. Even Michael Froelich at around four mil. Everybody thought it was going to be five. Talks of Matt Bolesky going for six yeah. mil ends up getting four. Twitter was hilarious when that happened because everyone went nuts, going, "My God, that's so cheap!" So maybe GMs are learning a little bit as we go. Um, oh, I thought one of well, there hasn't been a, a there's been no David Clarkson signings to this point. No, but Boston did give up a third round of Zach Ronaldo, so you know swings and roundabouts. Not free agency, though. No, that's very true. Actually, speaking of, of, of trades, what do you think about these uh, long-term injury list players getting traded? I'm fine with it, to be honest. I'm, I'm okay with it. My issue with the Chris Pronger thing yeah. is you have an active player who's on long-term injured reserve and which is fine also a employee of the league office and is in the hall of fame something that only retired players are supposed to be eligible for so uh i don't get how all of that can happen and he got traded to a team that i believe the league's owning yes well not anymore, but yeah, there's that yep. too. 
So, yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, they didn't waive the rule for Gretzky, so why is it okay to do that? I mean, everyone knows that Ponga's not going to play again. I get all of that, but you get down to the finer details of it. If they weren't going to do it for Gretzky, why are they not going to do it? If, well, if you're going to work for the league office, retire. And if he retires, that goes on the Flyers cap. If you want to continue to, to circumvent the cap through legal ways, which I, it is legal to correct. Yep. Then you can't work for the league office or be up for the Hall of Fame. You need to. It needs to be one or the other for me. Yeah, and it just shows you that there are teams that have really good influence with the league and those that don't, and the Flyers do. It's that simple because it's the Flyers that will get burnt if, if this all got reversed and they had to put it on the cap. But I have no problem with Mark Savard moving, uh, Nathan Horton moving, or Pronger if he were to actually not be working for the league and, you know, getting inducted into the Hall of Fame. He so should yeah. be in the Hall of Fame, but it should be yeah. when he's retired. So the actual the actual salary move isn't the issue for you at all, and it's not, nor is it for me. It's one of those things where, you know, the, the, there were loopholes in the previous CBA in regards to backdriving contracts. They fixed that. If the league thinks this is going to be a problem, they'll fix it at the next CBA. It is well, what it, it is. Let's fix it because Chris Pronger can't play again. He had a serious injury. Uh, Mark Savard has head trauma. And why, you know, there needs to be an amendment here somewhere where when you're talking about serious injuries like this, that that you can wipe the cap hit away because... You're, you're asking the NHL, though, to accept that what Mark Savard did is a serious injury though. That's you see no, this when you get to the head injury thing, it, it starts to become a really blurry line, and it's it's tough to do anything with because particularly with the legal stuff coming up soon for for Batman slash the NHL, you get there and, and, and suddenly start to try and do stuff with the marks of art contract. They just want that gone. They just want that contract to end so they can basically have it off their hands and they can not deal with it. A little bit like L.A. and Boynton. How about L.A. and Mike Richards? Well, oh, Mike. about L.A. and just anything bad at the moment? That, that franchise has gone through a very tumultuous four or five months when you think about it. It's been crazy for them. It's I, I, Who knows what they'll look like when they get to next year? That Mike Richards stuff is a slippery slope if that's allowed. I I hate the idea of a team just saying, "Oh, he makes the, make make a very convenient claim to get a guy that you could have had a compliancy buyout the year before and you screwed up and you you're public about admitting that mistake and then you you try to hit a home run with with just a stupid loophole." I hope they tell him just sorry. From this a is not happening. It's a long way away from the NFL in regards to it feels very NFL ish in regards to you've screwed up, cut him, bang, we don't have to worry about the contract anymore. That's how it feels. Um, and the CBA for the NHL seems a bit tighter than that to be able to do that. So it will be really interesting to see where this ends up. I wouldn't blame Mike Richards to just keep playing in the AHL and just make sure he keeps getting his money after the yeah, way. It's his, it's his money. He signed the deal. Yeah. They could have bought him out last year. He was trending yeah. in this direction before that. And uh, Lombardi wanted to be loyal, and he was. It didn't work. And now he's trying to 
really his back's against the wall. This was his like Hail Mary attempt. And I and I hope it fails. I think hey, it's a bad precedent to set. Credit credit for trying, but I agree. I hope it fails as well. And the league should. And the NHLPA should for that matter. What happens when another player um, you know, the team kind of half regrets the signing and then they just pull this stunt. Where's the line drawn? Do you really want to open up this can of worms? I don't think it's wise. Hey, look, if they don't fix this, we could strike at the next, at the end of this agreement with the CBA, player v player, more so than player v owners. Seriously. So that's, that's, they, 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 you can't break a contract in that matter. It's that simple. So the players have to stand up for this. Yeah. And we'll see. It'll take a while. I don't know what will happen with LA's cap while they fight this, though. Well, what's going on? What's going on with Voinov anyway? Cap wise, for for LA, I mean, in th- for me, he should still be on the cap. They shouldn't get any cap compensation and and not have him on the cap. Like, I think they're going to get the relief until told no. Well, that's ridiculous. I'm sorry, but I I just I do not see how they should get relief for him. In the situation, I just, I just, I do not understand that. Like team, teams cannot control their players to make sure they don't screw up. That's fine, but every team signs a player with an inherent risk that they might do something wrong on the ice and off the ice. I don't understand why this suddenly is uh, cap compensatable as opposed to Matt Cook killing Mark uh, Mark Savard. Do you know what I mean? Like I don't, I, I just, I don't get or, it. Or Slava Voinov assaulting somebody. That, if they didn't want to use that uh, point. cap loophole for Voinov, then how can you? Mm. Or, or, well, I guess Jared Stoll's a UFA, so. Yeah, but that, no, but that, that's my point. You look at what Cook did to Savard, and then you look, and that's in an environment that is a physical slash violent environment, and then you look at Voinov, what he did outside that environment. To someone not expecting to be that, allegedly, I don't understand why they get cap relief from that. Whereas the team with the player that's made the the transgression on the ice doesn't. I just that that's the bit that baffles me about about that. So it'll be interesting to see how the NHL tackle it. Do we want to mention um, Marty Saint Louis retiring at all? Good career, great career. Yeah, that's pretty much all I got. <laughs> Well, you know, he ended up retiring as a ranger, and it's hard for me to like. It happens. It's the nature of uh, player movement these days. I thought he would play another year. I was a little surprised by his announcement, but uh, he was terrific for um, overcoming his size issue in an era where that was really frowned upon. Yes. Um, But his quads are tree trunks. (laughs) And... um, you can you can tell when you see those that why he was such an explosive skater and why he had the success he did. So, a um, few other free agency slash trade things I, I I wanted to get to. I thought I thought the Washington Capitals did a wonderful job the last couple of days in signing Justin Williams to a two year contract, which I thought. He was going to be looking a little more long-term. And for more money, he only is going to be getting 
3.25 mil. So uh, the three-time cup champion, Conn Smythe award winner, the Corsi god of the NHL, <laughs> has never made over 3.5 mil in a year. All right, so he obviously invests his money well because he has never tried to go to the bank at all. Why were the 29 other teams not lining up to give him this contract? I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't get it. Well done, well done, Washington. I mean, you can't. it's an amazing contract. Well, you look at that on top of the TJOC trade as well, and, and it's a different dynamic in that Capitals lineup. Both moves are outstanding. Um, St. Louis is making change for the sake of change, and that's never. Um, that's never a good thing, I don't think. Good players are good players. Start focusing on the players that aren't as good as the other ones on your team. Wait. So you, st- you still have Steve Ott making $2.6 million on your team. Uh, start there. Where, where did where... – St. Louis, when they were building to this sort of crescendo of being a quality, quality team, when did it suddenly fall apart? It the, didn't. They they, – they, they... They ran into L.A. twice and Chicago once in the first round, all, you know, the Dynamo Cup champions of the Western Conference. And last year, losing in the first round of Minnesota, which I think was their most winnable of the four first-round series, and they lost it. And I think that at that point, they're like, let's blow it up or let's we need change. But you say that knowing full well that Minnesota were a possession monster with bad goaltending earlier in the year. They get that goaltending later in the year. They were always going to be a tough out, and they were. That's that's the thing that, like, St. Louis have to sit there and look at it and go, what is it? Well, I don't think Troy Brower is what they're lacking, is basically what I'm trying to say. So I I don't know what direction they're going in. Like, that move at best is lateral. It's not forward for for St. Louis. It's not forward. It's... They got grittier, if that's what if that's what they're going for. And if that's, that's the case, then St. Louis are in trouble. But I, I, I bring it back to I think the management staff are getting players that the coach wants. I think TJ Oshie even said it. When Hitch came back, I knew there were going to be changes. So I think Oshie knew that he might be out the door. And I think even you said it. He's someone. Somebody said it. He's a second-line winger being asked to play first-line minutes. You put him in the lineup where he should be slotted, and I think his relative course he goes up, and it will make him a. Better. I think he's a first line winger. I just don't think you're going to get superstar uh, point totals from him. Remember, a first line winger in the NHL is the 60 point level, and he he does do that, and he's going to get an opportunity to play with Alex Ovechkin and Nicholas Backstrom, and I think that he could possibly get 270 points on a line like that. He's responsible defensively. He's a good player at a very good cap hit, and for the life of me, I don't know why. If you're building a team, you want to get rid of that kind of player. He's very good at finding little sneaky holes to get free. Now, if you've got Backstrom and Ovechkin out there, Oshie will disappear and then suddenly score goals. Like The defense will just lose him. The other team will just lose Oshie because of the focus on the other two players. It's just human nature. Like, you can scout and scout and scout on it and tell your players and tell your players not to focus on those two guys. But Oshie is very good at disappearing and turning up when he needs to. And 
playing with those two players, as you said, should push his points totals up. St. Louis could look very silly after this if you look at it in a traditional sense because Troy Brown is not going to give you the same points total that TJ Oshie was full stop, but he will definitely help your team produce because he gets in the way, goalies, he creates traffic in front, so he helps with shots on goal. So he's going to help in, in that aspect. So you're going to have to trust on the Corsi value of Troy Brower if you're going to be a St. Louis fan because you'll look at that trade at the end of the year and go, what do we get out of it? Yeah, um, I don't like it for St. Louis at all. And uh, I guess for Washington... The only thing that's a little bit concerning is they lose Eric Fair, mm-hmm. or it, it seems to be looking that way that he's not coming back. Um, what they do with now that they have all these good wingers, do they have a, a second line center or a third line center? I can't, is Evgeny Kuznetsov is he capable of playing center? Oh, does then does then Brooks like become the third line center who really isn't, you know? great anymore or maybe never was <laughs> what's he oh no, I was thinking a stickle don't worry me uh, so they have a little bit of issue for, for the center position there they should be looking at a Mike Santorelli or, or something along those lines should they overpay for Fur to bring him back though they don't really have the money that's why I asked <clears throat> excuse me because they have to pay Marcus Johansson. So I guess Johansson could be that 2C, but, you know, that's not a terrific if, option, I guess I want to say. If Johansson's the 2C and Kuznetsov's the 3rd C, they're almost... Well, Kuznetsov will play in the top six. So if Johansson's playing second-line center, Kuznetsov's going to be on the wing somewhere. Well, that and that's that's... Probably one of the good things that that Trotz has got, I suppose, is he's got movable pieces. So they can go, they can stack the top six if they want, or they can try and spread everything out so they don't get dominated with a couple of lines. And, that, and that's going to be some of the, the fun things with some of these changes that some of these teams have made over the course of the last you know, five or six days will be how they actually compile their roster because there, there's been some reasonably seismic shifts in regards to where the talent base is in some of these teams, whether it's top-end or low-end or it's balanced or, or however you look at it. It'll be really interesting to see how it all sort of pans out. Um, yeah, and I'm really looking forward to that Ovechkin-Backstrom, whether it's Oshi or Williams, because they've always kind of had... Avoid there on the right wing. Joel Ward filled it for a little bit last year, but they have two legitimate right wing options to to put there now, and that and that's fun. I like watching fun hockey. So I have to admit, some of those teams that you've always sort of gone, oh, you really need to fill that hole, have actually managed to fill that hole this off season. So yes, the it'll be really, really traditionally the start of the year is a bit of a mess for everyone. You know, deep systems aren't totally in place and players are a little bit out to sea defensively so offense can really really take hold and it would be great to see teams like the Capitals do well 
Pittsburgh of the talent that they've gone and acquired. Would be good to see the Ducks with who they've got up front do well. It'll be inter- interesting to see whether um, Dano slots in just like Saad did in Chicago. Obviously, the Oilers and, and Buffalo. It'll be really interesting to see how those teams blow out of the gates because they've got offense to burn now. So I'm really hoping that they get off to a really good start and hopefully the league will allow that to happen. And you know what I mean when I say that. Yeah. Um, last team that I kind of wanted to touch on a little bit, uh, they made a few, few good moves, I thought. Uh, Mike Green to Detroit for... Six million, which is a, a they paid a premium for one of the top puck moving defensemen. What's the but what, and and that's what makes uh, this free agency period so reasonable. Only three years, very that's, doable. Yeah. Yep, very reasonable. <clears throat> so that's we talked last year, <clears throat> a lot of the time about Detroit, um, maybe trading for a puck moving defenseman. That's what they they lacked. That's what they needed, and now they have one. And on the power play, he's going to be tremendous. And the other signing they made was they took advantage of Anisimov's extension and Brad Richards leaving uh, Chicago, and now they have him for three mil. And he could be their third-line center uh, with Datsuk, Franzen, and Zetterberg being other uh, options at center for them. Well, you know, you got to give Brad Richards credit here. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's just gone where he knows he's going to fit. He's taken... Yeah, and he's earned that, right? He's taken market value, though, and, and not not asked for too much and then ended up with no market for himself. I mean, think about it. He's he's done himself a lot of favours and allowed himself to be in good situations. It's, I think it's something that players will need to start considering. Alexander Seven's a really good example. He needs to, to, to work out what he wants to get out of his hockey career and work out how he can best do that. If it's about just getting as much coin out of the sport as he possibly can, he's done a pretty good start with Carolina. But where he ends up now will probably come down to what he wants out of his career. Well, I think he's unique in that it's one and the same. If he wants coin, he's going to need to play really well and a one-year deal which will also help the team he's on. He's not, he has little leverage right now after tanking on that long-term contract. Little. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he's one of the more interesting players that's still available, and I think he's going to have a, a, a good 2015-16 season, and it's going to come at a, the price of a contract that will be no longer than two years. Two years at the most most likely one and it might fall into that 3.5 million range which i think is more than acceptable to take a risk on uh, i would argue i think the penguins should still take that risk place him on the left wing with malkin and hornquist and let Perron, crosby and kessel go to town and then you have <clears throat> uh remember how we talked about the four wingers vying for that one spot yep now you have your four bottom six wingers it's that trickle down effect. If that, that's why having <clears throat> cheap players, whether it's entry level or just good signings, is really handy because you can then get that talent to trickle down lower into your lineup, and, and that's where teams like 
you know, I, I keep going back to Tampa, but they're in a situation where, at the moment, they could bring in someone for a couple of years like Seven and have that trickle-down effect if they wanted. I mean, you put Seven on the third line in, in that Tampa Bay team, and that third line scores because it's not there to check. It's not there to try and negate. It's there to put pressure up the other end of the ice. So they've got options to do stuff that you would consider crazy five or six years ago. Who would have thought that you could put seven on a third line somewhere? So it, it's one of those things that this new NHL, it's a lot of fun to watch. Hopefully the game gets opened up a little bit more and teams that have that third to fourth line offensive depth get rewarded for going that way. It's where I want it to go. I think another potential fit for Alex Semin could be the team we were just talking about, Detroit. Definitely. I've no doubt at all. He would fit in he would fit in great there. You, you look at Zetterberg, uh, Richards, like Dat- you said, and, and uh, Datsuk. Yeah. He Semin is ridiculously talented. The the question about him is whether he can finish in the clutch. It's not about whether he can perform in the season. Don't don't rule out Toronto. If they sign him to a one-year deal and then flip him at the deadline, uh, kind of along the same lines as those other people we were talking about, that would be smart for them to do as well. Totally agree. Some team will overpay for him when he plays out of his socks relative to his teammates in Toronto, and they'll get a high draft pick. If I'm him, I'm not signing a one-year deal there, though. I'm I'm hoping Pittsburgh gives me a phone call, especially... uh, you know, it'd be interesting to see how low he would be willing to accept a Pittsburgh offer, considering Rutherford was the one that has lined his pockets. <laughs> like, almost like a, yeah, I kind of owe you one here. Okay, yeah. So, so this is a question to you that I don't expect a, a knowledgeable answer on. How much do players have a say in negotiation than who with in regards to previous experiences to their managers? Like, th- think about it. Everything you just said then, you've sort of said in the tense that it's Seven that, that's sort of got the negotiations by the balls when it comes to him and the the general manager. But in reality, it, it's, the, it's the agent. So are you hoping that the agent and the general manager have got a good relationship and they'll do not play nice with each other? Or is it a terrible relationship and... He's just going to hardball everyone, and that's why Simon looks like an ass. No, the agent works for the player. So that's on the player always. The agent does his best to negotiate, but at the end of the day, um, that player is responsible for what the his decision. agent's bartering for. Uh, I was just thinking maybe, you know, he gets that large buyout from Carolina. Uh, it was Rutherford who put the trust in him to, uh, you know, sign that five-year deal but he wasn't the one that bought him out so i don't think there's um bad blood there on either side maybe maybe rutherford's a little bit disappointed in that he didn't play well during his final year in carolina but you know if you honestly alex simon if he if he does indeed want to be an nhl player for uh for more years plural we're better than plopping down on Malkin's line this year to really boost his value up. Yeah, like you said, if he wants to get there and increase his value to go and make coin, 
one year in a Pittsburgh or a Detroit or Tampa Bay or even in New York, he should do well. And you sit there with it and go, there's a great way to get there and give yourself another $7 million deal for four years or something crazy like that. Someone would be stupid. What about uh, Anaheim? Would yeah. Be interesting. Apparently, he's got a lot of interest, so somebody's going to sign him. I'm yeah, actually a little bit surprised that well, he's still it hasn't it. happened yet. But yeah. that's you know maybe him kind of looking through all the things we, we we are right now. Just what what is the best fit? What do I actually want out of this? Uh, I have options. It's not like nobody wants me, and I'm begging. He's and, just not going to get term. He may get money for one year. And he should he should look at it that way in regards to oh wait before I make up my mind there's no reason to rush the salmon same with Cody Franzen um, yeah he's I I, I w- I'm very surprised he he's still available and for sure he has interest maybe he overjudged the market maybe he was looking for six years thirty six mil and maybe it's not there how how far off is it I don't know we're not privy to that information. It's, but he's he's yeah. one of the better defense options going into free agency, and certainly right now with Sakara off the market and Green. I'll, I'll be very interested to see what he ends up signing for and who with him for how long. It, it will, will be interesting because it's it's a, it's a flat market when you think about it. I, I think the most excitement everyone's had has has been the trades. To to be honest. Um, the most of the movements come that way more so than free agents movements. Um, he'd be a great fit in San Jose, like we mentioned. I yeah. think Buffalo would be a, a great spot for him. They need a defenseman. That's their spot that they need to start to improve moving forward. They really, the Sabers have done great job at um, solidifying their forward group. Ryan O'Reilly's a, a great trade. Vander Kane, Matt Molson, Tyler Ennis, Jack Eichel, Gergensen's, uh, they're set there. Jeez, it really does show you how a trickle-down effect works on a franchise, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Everyone, everyone they, in Buffalo sort of starts to fit where you think they should almost, you know what I mean? It's the same, it's the same in, in, in Edmonton. Players just start to... You know, as good as as good as Nugent Hopkins is, if he can be your second line center, thumbs up for that team. And he is. Yeah, that that's what I mean. So it shows you how, and not 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 only that, you get there with with McDavid and the players around him. So the these two line mates suddenly become ten to twenty points better. Any other moves that we're forgetting about? Um, no, no. Is it worth talking about? Oh, well, no, we talked about Boston with Yoast, so there's no point going on about Boston at all. Um, no, we, we scathed them pretty good last week. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Bruins fan. Um, I, don't, I don't think there's really anything movement-wise that's, that sort of needs to be discussed. Nothing else sort of major happened. There have been some good moves. I mean, you know, Eddie Lack moved. I, I like Eddie Lack as a person, not necessarily a, a hockey player. He's fine, though. Yeah, Anthony Emmy's going to double up with 
Curry Littman, so they'll both play 41 games for the year. A lot of money on goaltending, but I guess if you really want to be fair to Jim Nill, he's got tons of great contracts on that yeah. roster. He gets more wiggle room than most at the goalie position on how much he can spend well, because of the other good stuff. He's paying so. peanuts, really, when you think about it. So, yeah. He ben, can, peanuts. Yeah, he could afford to blow it. I know we brushed over it, but Martin Jones, as the number one in, in San Jose, I suppose at some point someone had to bite the bullet on him and make him the number one. Great AHL numbers and his small NHL sample size, very encouraging. Why not? And Why? and in the goaltender market, the Oilers with Talbot, what do you reckon? Short, short sample size, played great. Don't expect those numbers to continue, but he, he could certainly be – um, a competent goaltender. The interesting thing with Talbot, as opposed to Jones, is Talbot is going to be unrestricted after next year. Andy's almost 30 years old, so wow! If he has a good year, they're going to have to buck up right away. I really didn't think he was that. I didn't think he was that old. Wow. Okay. I'm going to double check right now. I think I had heard that he's 27. And he will be actually 28 in two days. So there you go. So happy birthday, Cam Talbot. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, I don't. Any, anything else just generally in hockey that you're interested in with this one? It's... No, just a waiting period to see how some of this shakes out. I, I'm not sold that St. Louis is done trading. I think maybe Patrick Berglund gets moved. We'll see. I don't. That St. Louis. I was really that St. Louis team for me was pretty good, and he still is pretty good. Not I don't think as good now that she has gone, but it just baffled me that they decided to walk away from what. It just seemed like the well, we're not going to fire the coach, so we have to move someone. Otherwise, the fan base is going to get narky with this. I just think it was a panic move. I don't think that particular trade improves them at all. And I don't know why people just make moves for the sake of making moves, and that's what that one felt like. So I guess that'll do it. I think so. Uh, happy 4th of July to everybody in the States. And, uh, yeah, don't blow your hands off with the fireworks. <laughs> When, when is your, when is Australia's national uh, holiday? Twenty sixth of January, which is your summer. It is, but the disappointing thing about that is that's the day that we. Uh, yeah, let's not get into that. That's a bit of a <laughs> okay moment. So we'll move on. <laughs> okay, happy Fourth of July, happy free agency period. Uh, as always, thank you for listening. That's it for now. Catch up.